Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Before we get too far into this, just want to let everybody know, uh, church is invited to a wedding coming up here Saturday, August 4th. Uh, Abby Lammers and uh, Abe Travis are going to be getting married, and the church is invited out to that, so we'll put this information back up there on the bulletin board. But uh, church invited to the wedding here Saturday, August 4th, coming up here in just a little under a month. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke, and let's do the smart thing, and let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning, just excited to see what you have to say, and just uh, so thankful to see the people come out for this, Lord. Um, Lord, obviously a lot of regulars out traveling with just the holiday and just summer vacations and things going on. Keep them safe and bring them back safe, Lord. Lord, we just pray that this time here is a time just to go deeper in you, to walk in you, to learn more of you, and just we just ask for your blessing upon this in your name. Amen. Alrighty, continuing our study here through the book of Luke. If you haven't been with us here recently, just a real quick recap. Luke chapter 1, we were introduced to uh, the parents of John the Baptist. And also in Luke chapter 1, we were introduced to uh, Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. And we talked about the miraculous birth of John, and we also talked about the miraculous birth of Jesus, the virgin birth. And that's what we covered last week in the first part of Luke chapter 2. Well, now here in our second part of Luke chapter 2, the verses we're going to be doing today, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do uh, verses 21 through 38 of Luke 2. And we're going to talk about Jesus as a baby. Next week is Jesus as a child and a young child, which then takes us right into his adult life. Now, I just find these studies absolutely fascinating to think and study what it was like for Christ, for God, who was God and man, to be a baby, to be a child, and to him grow up in this house and have Mary and Joseph raise him. It's just an amazing thing to think about. I know what it's like at the Irvin house. You know, we got five boys running around. I mean, there's so much sin nature at the Irvin house. It just like creeps out the window. And, you know, here's Jesus, this perfect child, this perfect young child. And it's just a fascinating thing to see. And for Mary to be raising this baby that is also her savior, it's just a fascinating thing to think about. So we're going to get into that a little bit this morning as we talk about Jesus as an infant. And then as we move into him being a young child, then eventually in John, excuse me, in Luke chapter 3, we get to Jesus' ministry as an adult, as a 30-year-old man. So let's see what God has to say this morning. Let's start here in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. It says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, this seems like just a lot of uh, information here, and that's what it is. This is kind of important. This is all out of Leviticus 12. If you want to study this out more, you can. In Leviticus 12, you have all the purification rules and laws given to the Jews on how they were supposed to handle these things. It was important that the little boys be circumcised on the eighth day, and that's what you see there in verse 21. And also in verse 22, Mary, because she had a boy, she'd be considered unclean for 40 days. She'd be considered ceremonially unclean for 40 days. So at the end of that time, she would need to come back into the temple and then offer up a sacrifice to the Lord, because ultimately the baby is God's. And they're going to be offering up a sin offering for this, and this is all in Luke chapter 12. Now, that stuff's important, obviously, and we'll cover that in more detail probably in a couple weeks when we get into this idea of Christ being baptized and what that means and represents. But the main thing I took out of this is obviously they're following the rules, and that's good. That's what they're supposed to do. But this last part here, verse 24, they offer up a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you, but that's a very important piece of information. Because in Luke chapter 12, 
it goes through the different list of the animals that you were allowed to sacrifice when you had a child. And it starts out with a lamb, and it works its way down. Now, we all understand what the lamb means. The lamb represents, obviously, the Savior, the Messiah. Well, if you had a decent amount of money, that's what you would use, is you would use the lamb as your sacrifice. Well, it worked all the way, the animals, down to this. Two young pigeons. This didn't cost a whole lot. Now, why do we bring this point up? Is because this shows a little bit of insight into Mary and Joseph. These kids didn't have much money. They didn't have much of all. Now, you've got to remember here from our study, Mary at this time is probably 15, 16 years old. Joseph, maybe not a whole lot older than that. They're starting out kind of rough here. Put themselves in this perspective as we covered last week. Mary is forced to go to Bethlehem because of the tax by the Roman emperor. So here she is, nine months pregnant, being forced to travel. Obviously not very comfortable. They get there. She's having her first kid. And her first kid's going to have to be born in the stable, in the manger. No one there to help her. No experienced midwives, no other gals that say, hey, this is what's going to happen. She's got Joseph. And I know from a fact, I've been to five births. Men are not helpful at all when it comes to having a baby. We don't. So Joseph's there. So they have the baby in this stable, in this manger, in this dirty area. These were, how should I say this, very common people. And you see this by the sacrifice they bring of two young pigeons. Now, as we talked about this last week, part of the reason why the Lord allowed this to happen, for, them to be, for him to be born in the manger, etc., is it shows a humbleness of beginnings and approachability because Jesus should have been born in a castle, in the kingdom, because he's God. His birth should have been attended by royalty and kings and queens. Instead, Jesus gets a dirty stable, a dirty manger. The only people to come visit him are shepherds. See, that shows the humbleness, the beginnings of this. And this is a very important point. If you would, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews 4. See, in Hebrews 4, it gives us a little bit of a background to why did God choose this very humble entrance into the world. Hebrews 4. Let's go ahead and pick this up in verse 14, please. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus... The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Because listen to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look at verse 15 one more time. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Now, how many of us here have ever had a little uh, money problems? Okay, Joseph and Mary can relate to that. I had to bring just the two pigeons. How many of us come from very humble origins and beginnings? Kings and queens do not attend our birth. Royalty did not visit us in the hospital. I think we can probably relate to that. This man, but yet God, started out the low of the low in society. This is the reason why. Very relatable to us. And that's the whole point of verse 15. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us. So therefore, in life, when you have no one else you can turn to, you always have Christ you can turn to. Because he's the only one that can say, yeah, I understand. When you're going through physical pain, he can say, yeah, I understand. I went through the cross. When you're going through spiritual questioning and, and wondering why, he can say, yeah, I understand, because I went through that on the cross. When you're going through emotional difficulty, being left alone and no one cares, no one understands, he can say, yeah, I know I was left by everybody too. You have a high priest that is relatable to you. God himself is relatable to you. That's the beauty of this beginning. So when you have no one else to turn to, that's when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, well, what about me? Because we're all guilty of this. I hate to say it, but I'm more guilty of this than I want to be. 
We all have these woe is me moments of no one understands me, no one gets me, and I try to go talk to people and they just don't get it, and then I end up saying things like, you just don't understand, you just don't care. Jesus does. Why am I going to human beings for comfort and support when I could be going to my high priest, Jesus Christ himself, who can sympathize with me in my times of weakness? And look at verse 16 one more time. Look at this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can go right to the Lord anytime you want. Stop and think about that for a second. You have direct access to God who created the heavens and the earth any time you want. Why don't we take advantage of that more often? Every time I think of this passage, I think of that iconic picture that we've seen many times where President Kennedy is sitting at his desk and his son is playing underneath his desk. Now, when we think about that, us, we sit here and say, wow, that, that, that kid's under the desk of the president playing. Well, to that kid, he was just at dad's workplace. He was just at dad's office. He didn't realize he was sitting under the desk of the president. We have direct access to God. We can go sit at the desk of the president anytime we want, just the creator of the universe. Lord, I need to talk to you today. I'm having a tough time. I need my high priest that can sympathize with me. What happens is, this is what I do. I go through a tough time, and, well, I need to talk to so-and-so, or maybe Dawn will help, or what about this, or I'll go try to do this to take my mind off of it. None of that stuff helps. I'm not saying that human beings can't be there to help you and encourage you and point you in the right direction. There is that gift of encouragement, but ultimately, Go to Christ, the high priest who can sympathize with us, that had the humble beginnings, the humble origins, and look at what God has done. He started his life out low of the low, so therefore he can say, I'm relatable to you. This is a high priest that we can relate to, and that's part of the humbleness of his beginnings. Now, with that in the back of your mind, let's see what else happens here in Luke chapter 2. Jump back now. Let's pick it up here in verse 25. We're introduced to two people now, Simeon and Anna. Verse 25, it says, Now behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, I find this fascinating. Look at verse 33. Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Marveled at it. Let's put it all, all together. Look uh, back to verse 19. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Stay in the same chapter and jump ahead, if you will, please, to verse 50. But they did not understand the statements when he spoke to them. I think Joseph didn't fully get what was going on here. Just, just step back for one second and, and just replay what's happened. We've already established this fact. Mary is probably very young, 15, 16, 17 years old. Joseph, not much older, probably. They're getting ready to get married. They're happy. Angel appears to Mary, and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. The virgin birth, okay? Angel appears to Joseph and says, Hey, Mary, who you're going to marry, she actually is going to give birth to the Messiah, and you're going to be the stepdad to God. Can you imagine the first conversation between Mary and Joseph about this? So, okay, that's strange enough to begin with. Then all of a sudden, nine months pregnant, she has to go to Bethlehem. All of a sudden, in God's perfect timing, as we talked about last week, it may not have been Mary's perfect timing, she goes into labor. They can't find a place to have the baby, so they have to have a baby in a manger, in a stable. 
No one around to help. This is God's perfect timing. And all of a sudden, who's the first people to come visit Mary? Shepherds. People she's never met. They just show up and they start worshiping her baby. This is, this is a lot to try to grasp and understand. And then they go through the whole temple thing they're doing what they're supposed to. They're at the temple to do the right thing. And all of a sudden in verse 25, this weirdy Simeon, he just grabs their baby and says, I've been waiting to see this baby. I can die in peace. And he starts prophesying over the baby. And he starts saying all these things to Mary. This is a strange beginning for Mary and Joseph to go through. I'm telling you right now, like I said, we've had a few kids. And I'm telling you right now, if you'd go try to take the baby out of my wife's hand, she'd kill you. Without a shadow of a doubt. Simeon just takes the baby and next thing you know, he's prophesying over her. Same thing. Who shows up? The shepherds. Dirty, scuzzy shepherds. My wife, when we had our kids, she'd put a note on the door at the hospital, at the hospital, that said, before you're allowed to come in, you need to wash and sanitize your hands before you came in. That note is still on our door. Our baby, our youngest now is almost three months old, and there's a note on our door, and as soon as you walk in our house, there's a big thing of sanitizer right there. I'm telling you right now, my wife would not let any dirty shepherd get anywhere close to her baby. But here's Mary. She's reaching a point, verse 33. She's marveling. What is going on? You have to put yourself in the position of this. Yes, she understands. Yes, her faith is amazing. Yes, she was the one chosen and Joseph was chosen to have this amazing role. But they're still human beings. And if you look at what they're going through, there has to come a time and a place where you stop and you say, Lord, I don't get this. Shepherds I've never met are bowing down to my baby. Men I've never met are grabbing him at the temple and prophesying over me. This is a little strange. Turn, if you will, with me to Isaiah 55, please. Isaiah 55. I want to share with you a verse. Because what happens is, there's probably times in your life, maybe a time in your life right now, where you're sitting there saying, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. You're struggling. You're wondering why. You're wondering how. You're wondering how much more you can go on. You don't get what's happening. And you're sitting there right now saying, maybe, Lord, why? Why? Isaiah 55 gives us a little bit of a hint to this. Because Mary had to be wondering a little bit at this time, what is going on? This verse in Isaiah 55 is a verse that Don and I clung to many times in our life when we've been going through difficult times. And it really brings a peace to us. Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Are you in a spot right now where God's just not making sense? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are the verses for you. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. See, Mary didn't see the big picture of what was going on, maybe. I don't know. A lot of strange things happening, but she trusted God through it. You may be in a spot right now where you don't see the big picture of what's happening, and you may have some why questions. I'll tell you right now as a pastor, why questions are the hardest questions to answer. When people come in and ask why, a lot of times I can't answer those. I can't say why. I don't know why the Lord allowed that to happen. I don't know why the Lord allowed that event in your life. I don't know why. But I know Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I know that God says my ways and thoughts are higher than yours. And I know that the Bible says that God is good and does good. I know that. So you may be sitting here right now contemplating, thinking, trying to figure out, or as Mary's word in Luke 2, pondering. That's a time and place where you just have to trust and obey. You just have to trust the big picture that you may not fully see and just trust that God is doing something bigger than us. And we may not fully grasp it or see it, 
but we trust it just like Mary did. Now jump back here. Let's talk about the Simeon guy for a little bit because here's quite a description of him in verse 25. He's described as just and devout. That's a pretty good description. Just and devout. That word devout actually means pious. It means he, if you really study out the word, he carefully thought on the things of God. He just didn't hear it. He dwelled on it. He meditated. He chewed on it. This guy was a thinker. And why was he a thinker? Because the Spirit revealed to him in verses 26 and 27, you're not going to die until you see the Savior. That's a pretty big thing to be thinking about most of your life and dwelling on, is that I get to meet the Messiah. Now, I don't know. Did Simeon think he was going to meet the Messiah as a 40-day-old baby? Maybe Simeon thought he was going to meet the Messiah as a 40-year-old man. Do you ever sometimes think about that? Sometimes the plan that you have may not be exactly the plan that God has. So Simeon here, through the Spirit... It's just waiting, verse 26. Now, this is a divine appointment, verse 27. So he came by the Spirit in the temple. What happened that morning? I don't know. Did Simeon get up and did the Spirit say to him, today's the day, go to the temple, start grabbing random babies. One of them's the Messiah. I don't know. But the Lord revealed to him that today is the day. The Lord revealed to him, go. And what did Simeon do? He obeyed. That's a vital word. Do you realize how many times the Lord tells us to do something and then we don't? See, Simeon obeyed. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's easier for Simeon to obey. Well, the Spirit revealed it to him. How did the Spirit reveal it to him? We're not told. Yeah, it could have been a real divine moment of the all of a sudden the dark room became light and an angel appeared to him and gave him directions. It could have been. also could have been, as the Bible says, that still, small voice. It just said, Simeon, go. I'll tell you right now, I have not had those appointments of God appearing to me in the flesh and saying, hey, write this down, this is important. But you know what I've had? I've had nudges and checks in my heart that I know are from the Lord, where the Lord says, go. The Lord says, call that person. Drop them a card. Go over and talk to them. The Spirit is revealing what he wants us to do, and then we need to be obedient. I love what names mean. You know what Simeon's name means? Simeon's name means hearing. His name means hearing. His ears were open to the Lord. He was hearing what God had in store for him. Now, how could he know that? Well, Jesus makes it clear in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. As believers, if you're born again and saved this morning, Christ is trying to speak to you through the Spirit. And that's the way the communication works. And then he'll reveal to you what he wants you to do. Now, here's the problem. If you want the Lord to speak to you, you've got to quiet your heart before him. I'm not trying to put God in a box. I don't think he's going to speak to you as you're flipping through the TV trying to find something to watch. I don't think he's going to speak to you as you've got music blaring in the background. Maybe he will. I don't think he's going to speak to you when you're around and surrounded by uh, friends and family that are not there to edify you in Christ but to pull you down. I only can speak for myself. The Lord speaks to me when I quiet my heart before him. The Lord speaks to me when I spend time in his word, when I spend time in prayer, when I spend time in fellowship with other believers. That's when the Lord speaks. Now, the problem is that's not as fun. Can't I just be watching something on TV and then all of a sudden God says, oh, James, do this? He could. The thing about the Lord is he wants to be number one in your life. And I'm telling you right now, if you are struggling with something and you're trying to hear God, quiet your lives before him. Take out everything. Let go of that stuff and spend time in the Word. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through other believers. He speaks through worship. That's what He speaks through. And if you really want to hear the Lord like Simeon heard the Lord, quiet yourself from all those things of the world and listen to the Lord. That's how you'll hear. Simeon heard, Simeon responded, and he went. Now look at the prophecy given here, and I find this very fascinating. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What's the first thing that Simeon says when he sees the Messiah? Verse 29, highly paraphrased, I can die now. That's the first thing he says. I can depart in peace. I can die now. Now think about that for a second. This idea of dying, this idea of death 
usually freaks out most people. Kind of interesting. Throughout Genesis to Revelation, one of the things that God is always trying to tell us is how powerless Satan is. He's utterly powerless compared to God. But yet, there's a really interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 2 where it talks about one power that Satan has. And in Hebrews 2, the power that Satan has is the power of the fear of death. That's what Satan has. You probably know friends and family members that are scared to death, no pun intended, of death. You may be one of those people that are. That idea of death just scares you. I, every time death comes up, I have no problems talking about death. I have no problems talking about when I'm going to die. Life insurance, wills, it's going to happen. I don't know when. But there's certain people where as soon as you start talking about death, they're like, well, let's change the subject. Why? Usually I say, why? Why well, I don't want to talk about it. Why? You don't think you're going to die? I don't know. I'm just being mean sometimes. But we're all going to die. But if you're a born-again believer in Christ, there's not that fear of death. Now, I always like to say, and I remember Bob Wright said this one time, I've never forgot it. He said one time, he goes, I'm prepared, but I'm not ready. I thought, what a, what a great statement. I'm prepared. I am prepared for death. I know Christ is my Lord and Savior. I am prepared. Am I ready to die? I'd like to spend some more time with Dawn. I'd like to see my boys grow up and accept Christ and serve the Lord. I'm prepared. Am I ready? Not really, but I'm prepared. See, Simeon was prepared. He says, I can depart in peace now because there is no fear of death because he is now, verse 30, knows his salvation is in Christ. We just sang that song in worship today, Victory in Jesus. And that passage, Victory in Jesus, it comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, where in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about death, and he says that Christ took away the sting of death, so there's no fear. That's why we have victory in Jesus, because there is no fear of death because of what Christ did. If you know Christ personally, if you are born again and saved in Jesus, there is not a fear of death because you know your Savior and you know where you're going. Simeon met his Savior face to face, and so his first phrase in verses 29 and 30 is, I have peace. I know Christ. That's what Jesus does. When you meet Christ face to face, guess what you get? Peace. Salvation. That's what you have. What else do you have? Jump ahead here, if you will, to verse 32. Look what the Lord's going to do. He brings light to the Gentiles, brings glory to Israel. That's his first and second coming in one verse. First time he came, he brought light to a dark world to see unsaved people get saved. The second time he comes in the second coming of Christ, he's bringing glory to Israel to come back and rule and reign as king. That's what he's going to do. And so what you see here is the first and second coming. Now look at these other prophecies given here in verse 34. He says to Mary, Behold, this child, in verse 34, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now, that's pretty straightforward. You're either going to fall in Christ, rejecting him and going to hell, or you're going to rise in Christ, accepting him and go to heaven. That's what it is. It's such a black and white thing. You're either saved or you're not saved. Why? Because look at verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's what the Lord does. He reveals what's in your heart. Do you want a relationship with Christ or not? If you do, then you rise with Christ. If you choose to reject Christ, then you fall with Christ. He reveals what's going on in your heart. Now, we're really good at coming to church, and we're really good about putting on this fake front. But in your heart... Have you really made Christ number one? Have you really said, this is what it is. He is my salvation. I'm just not coming to come because he is my salvation. See, Simeon saw his Savior face to face, which brought him peace. See, Simeon wasn't focusing on his problems. He wasn't focusing on his past. He wasn't focusing on everything going wrong. Simeon's focus in life was what? I'm going to meet my Savior before I die. That was his whole focus. How often do we say this out here at church? Keep your eyes on the Savior, not on the situation. If you keep your eyes on the situation, you will be depressed, you will be discouraged. You will. 
But if you keep your eyes on the Savior, you will have peace, just like Simeon did in verse 29. You will have peace because you're keeping your eyes on the Lord. As the story is told many times, you know the story in the Gospel, when Peter was walking on the water, as long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he walked on the water. As soon as he took his eyes off Christ, and the Bible says he looked at the storm around him, he sank. I see that all the time. I see it in other people's life. I see it in my life. They're going through a difficult time. And they say, Pastor, I, the Lord's going to get me through it. I'm going to stay strong in the Word. I'm going to stay strong in the prayer. He's going to get me through this trial and tribulation. I know He will. And they do for a while. They keep their eyes on their Savior. And eventually the trials and tribulations get too strong for them. They start looking at everything going and they sink. Keep your eyes on the Savior. Simeon kept his eyes on the Savior. He was chewing on that, waiting for that. And that's what brought him peace. Look at this little comment he said to Mary in verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. We've already covered this, that Mary keeps thinking about these things. Think about this for a second. Jesus, from the beginning, when he understood what his calling and mission was, and we're going to get to this next week, he knew that he was here for one reason, one reason alone, and that was to die. He knew that that was his focus, is I am here to die for the sins of the world. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's heart when she knew that her child sole purpose was to die for the sins of the world. Not only for the sins of the world, to die for her own sins too. She was the one that was at the foot of the cross watching her son suffer physically more than we can ever imagine, emotionally, spiritually. But as she's watching him suffer for the sins of the world, he's also suffering for her sins too. That's why in verse 35, the sword pierces her heart. What a tough thing. So that's Simeon that was waiting for the Lord, hearing for the Lord. One last person to talk about this morning, and then we're done. Let's talk about Anna in verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him, to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So now we have Anna. Anna. Now, we don't know for sure what was going on with Anna because different translations say it differently. But if you look here at verses 36 and 37, the way the New King James and King James reads it is that it um, looks like she was married for seven years and then she had been a widow for 84 years, which would put her probably at over 100 years old. Now, some of your translations read that a little differently. Either way, she was an older woman, and here she was, this prophetess. And what did Anna do? Verse 37, serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, I tell you this, I love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because that verse, to me, shows a plan and a purpose that we all have. Now, I try to explain this to people, and, and, and maybe this verse only impacts me. Maybe it's a personal verse. Maybe it doesn't impact you. I don't know. Have you ever had one of those things where you read something, and it's a life-changing passage for you, and you try to share that passage with somebody else, and they don't get it? I used to have this guy that used to come to me sometimes at church, and he would just look at me, and he, I'd go, hey, how are you doing today? He'd just look at me, and he'd go, Ezekiel 38. 20. I say, okay. He goes, read it. Ezekiel 38, 20. I go, read it. Got nothing. Nothing out of Ezekiel 38, 20. He come back. He goes, what did you think of that verse? And I used to say, I, 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 didn't, I don't know. I read it. And I didn't really get it. And that would bother him. So I finally just started saying, man, life-changing, life-changing verse. Because I started realizing some things are very personal. Verse 37 to me is a very personal verse because I, I see a purpose in this verse. Because this is what happens. is people come up to me and they say, Pastor, I want to serve at church. And I say, great, we're always looking for people to serve. Not because we want help, but because we understand that part of your walk with Christ is you personally serving. You will be blessed by serving, and we want to see you be blessed. So they're looking for a place to serve. They'll come up and say, I'm not good with kids. Okay, well, don't sign up for VBS then, please. Don't help in the back. Oh, I, I really can't do this, I really can't do that. 
And so it reaches a point if we go through this long list of, well, what can you do? And then there's different areas. Sometimes they say, my work schedule is crazy. I don't have a regular work schedule, so I can't say I can help every third Sunday of the month. Or my schedule changes, so I can't be here on Wednesdays and Sundays, so I can't really do that. Or I'm in a season of life right now where i got a bunch of little kids at home, but I really want to serve, but it's tough for me to find the time. Or maybe I'm physically limited. I, I just physically, I can't. I, I'm struggling with this physically. I'm housebound. I'm homebound. I don't have a lot of energy. There's all these reasons. So eventually we get to this, and I say, but you know what you can do? Verse 37, you can serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. And no one is ever impacted by that. I always say, well, wait a second. Okay, you can't help in the back. You can't go help on the work days we have for people. You can't serve a VBS. You can't clean. Uh, you're not called to do this. You, can't. You, you can do this. You can fast and pray. Any free moment you have, fast and pray for the church. I tell you right now, we have some Annas out here at church that are fasters and prayers. I love them. They are vital to the ministry of Harvest Fellowship to know that there are people that are just so willing to fast and pray for things. And if you come to them with a prayer request, by golly, they're going to hit their knees and give that to the Lord. What a wonderful ministry that is and what a beautiful thing it is. I don't know what was going on in Anna's life. We know at least she was in her 80s, if not maybe up into the hundreds. She probably physically couldn't do a lot, but she realized her ministry was, I will serve God by fasting and praying for people. And that is not a ministry to be taken lightly. People almost look at that as, well, that's all I can do? My goodness, that is so valuable. That's why we hand out the VBS prayer calendar that Renee mentioned. Take that home. Pray for VBS every day. You may not be able to come serve. You can pray for it every day. We've got a prayer request sheet that's back there. You may not know those people. You can still take that sheet home and pray for it on a regular basis. Pray for the church. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the gospel to go out. Serve God with fastings and prayers. You will be blessed. I love what people's names mean. And I find it fascinating in verse 36 that it gives all this information. Did you catch this? Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Why are they telling us all this stuff? If God took the time through the Spirit to write it, there's a divine purpose in it. So let's see what this means. Anna's name means grace. That's a good name. I like that. But this is where it gets good. Asher means happy. Phanuel means face of God. So put it all together. Anna is happy because she just saw the face of God. She just saw the Savior. So she is happy that she saw the face of God. Now, that's just like Simeon. Simeon's name meant hearing. His whole life he had heard from the Lord, you will not taste death till you see the Messiah. So when he saw the Messiah, he rejoiced when he saw the face of God. Anna was happy because she saw the face of God. What's the point? Where does your joy come from? Your joy comes solely from Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I love my wife. I love this church. I love my family. My boys bring me a lot of happiness. This church brings me a lot of happiness. My wife brings me a lot of happiness. Jesus Christ is what brings me joy. Happiness is good days, bad days. There's a happy moment in my life. There's a sad moment in my life. But joy never stops. Joy continues even through the trials and tribulations of life. That's why Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You may have come in here today and you're in a happy season of life. Things are going well. You're feeling well. Things are clicking. Amen. That happy season is not going to last forever. You may have come in here today, and this is not a happy season of life. You're physically suffering, you're emotionally suffering, you're spiritually suffering. That, hap that, excuse me, that season of sadness, that's not going to last forever. The Bible makes that clear. You have good seasons and bad seasons, but you know what else he says? You have joy continually, nonstop. And how do you have joy? When you see the face of Jesus. Simeon saw God. Anna saw God. 
and there was joy that came out of that. I don't know what you're facing here this morning, but I know whatever you're struggling with, Christ is the one that gets you through it. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden things change. I was talking to someone not too long ago, and the subject of prayer came up, and the idea came up of we pray, but things don't change. And I said, you've got to remember a purpose of prayer. Prayer sometimes doesn't change the situation. It changes the way you handle the situation. I've prayed for a lot of things in my life, and it never happened. But my attitude towards that situation changed. If you're praying solely to see that situation change, you're missing the point of prayer. Prayer is just you communicating with God. And sometimes God changes the situation. Sometimes he heals the physical ailment. Other times he gives you strength to get through it. Sometimes he provides the job. Other times he gives you strength to get through it. Prayer will either change the situation or change your attitude and how you deal with the situation. Joy comes from trusting that the Lord will get you through that no matter what it is. Anna had that joy. Simeon had that joy. Why? Because they met Christ. They met a 40-day-old baby. And it changed their world. We get to study out 33 years of this man's life that was God and how he died on the cross for our sins. Boy, so we're going to be blessed by this so much. Next week, we're going to get into Jesus as a young child. And then in chapter 3, we get into Jesus as a man as his public ministry starts with John the Baptist. So Marvin, Callie, if you can come forward here for the final song. Just a reminder there, the VBS kickoff party is uh, postponed here. And I really highly, highly encourage you, just go back and take a look at that list and see where the Lord's leading. God may be leading you to get involved with that. Please keep the kids in prayer for camp. As Jonathan was saying there earlier, uh, kids and adults going, there's like 38 kids going. Great group going. Keep them in prayer for safety as they take off Monday and come back Friday. We'd really appreciate that. And pray it's a great week for them. As Marvin and Callie are getting ready here, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Lord, help us to be like Simeon, hearing you, Lord, listening to you. Help us to be like Anna, having joy and happiness and just seeing the face of God. Lord, get us through these tough times. You're there. You are our Savior. You're relatable. And Lord, we need your strength and your help in all that we say and all that we do. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys, have a good week and God bless.